That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, we're back again. Hot part of summer. When people are listening to this, you'll be um, sabbaticalizing part two or something like that. I'll just be, be on vacation. Well, I mean... That's what secular people call it. <laughs> well, it is. It's you know, that. it's uh, very important because this is episode two hundred one. We forgot to announce yeah. that last week was episode two hundred. So we're celebrating today, episode two hundred one. Yeah, that's right. All you people who listened last week, you didn't realize you were listening to the two hundredth episode. If we'd been walking into a Walmart, the balloons and confetti would have fallen from the ceiling. Uh, I don't know. Anyways. Here we are, mm. 201. Milestone. It's sort of like, I don't know, when you fall asleep on the road trip and you miss uh, whatever important landmarks you're supposed to see. <laughs> That's right. We miss it, the but... ball of rubber bands. So oh. anyway, but... Um... <laughs> the world's giant, largest concrete gopher. Uh, yeah, so Look we... Look those, anyways. kids. Giant ceramic <laughs> uh, dinosaurs. So anyway, yeah. uh, Genesis, whatever you guys do outside of Manhattan, see. So anyway, just kidding. <laughs> Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 to 32 is our Old Testament reading. And then we have Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And if you're so bold, you can dabble into chapter uh, verses 16 through 19. And then we have uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Uh, so uh, uh, a lot of good readings today in the middle of the summer. And so in the dog days of summer, as they say. And so, um, but uh, what do you want to say about Genesis chapter 18? Anything exciting? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is, uh, this is Abraham bargaining with the Lord, and it's, it's a really funny passage in a way. Uh, you get the sense, I mean, Abraham, it's the scene of like haggling. It's like, a, it's like, you know, a used car salesman, you're trying to get him to the lowest possible price on the uh, 2005 Ford F-150 you want to get. Um, uh, there's this great sin in the the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> and uh, um, not St. Paul and Minneapolis, and close, Minnesota. Though, the, close. These, the other, yeah, close. Uh, those dens of iniquity. This is a. These are other twin cities, um, and God is going to bring judgment because there are awful things going on in those cities: child sacrifice and exploitation of people, and just basic dehumanizing and oppression and all that sort of stuff. And so, God wants to uh, bring justice, uh, but Abraham, is, is, uh, he speaks up on behalf of them and says, what if, you know, what if there are 50 good people there? Mm. And, you know, uh, and God says, okay, I'll, if there's 50, it's fine. And then he just keeps whittling, well, okay, I'm sorry, just let me, what about, what about 45? Mm-hmm. God says, okay, if, if 40, it's fine, um, I won't, I won't, if there's, and then, Abraham's like, okay, okay, hear me out. 
hear me out. I know, I know you're, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. Uh, you're short on time, but just, I'm, I'm sorry to take more of your time. But, but what about thirty? And he says, no, not thirty. And then just the gall, the boldness, the, the audacity of Abraham. He's, he, he bargains again. Okay, what mm-hmm. about twenty? And then um, what about? And he gets him all the way down to ten. And what you see is that <clears throat> God is a total pushover. Uh, God is gracious. This, you know, we say in the collect uh, or the prayer of humble access in the uh, Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, um, in our right one service, um, O Lord, whose property is always to have mercy, and it's on display here. Um, and the implication is like, if it got down to one person, like God would uh, well, would would not destroy it. And that that is the key, isn't it? Uh, the one thing that Abraham, did, I mean, this sounds like me uh, bargaining for a Christmas tree every year, you know. But the one thing yeah. that uh, Abraham does not mention is one person. So uh, there, I think that that's like kind of the, the hinge of the preaching. First of all, Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked place. I mean, you... Um, you go on and you read when the angels go down to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and they're Lot's guests. I mean, the uh, the people out there want to uh, basically rape his guests. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's like, take my daughters. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible place. Which is, and Lot and, is also terrible in that as well, like in his statement well, what, about the, his daughters. Well, the question is, is what is Lot doing down there? You know what I mean? That's a, yeah. that's a whole nother sermon. But uh, the point is, is that this is not basically a neutral place, you know, in poor Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a wicked place. And uh, but um, you see Abraham here on one level functioning almost as a mediator, an intercessor on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, and I think what it does point to is the fact that indeed God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah even for one person. And this is how it points to Jesus, is that indeed God has ultimately spared the world. The wrath of God has been pacified by one righteous man who's died for the sins of the whole world, for you and me. Uh, that's Abraham's seed. And that through uh, Abraham's seed, Jesus, the entire world is uh, not only uh, forgiven and spared, but ultimately redeemed and will be made new. Yeah, that's right. So this is a passage about God's grace, about God's, you know, lack of standards in a sense, and um, how merciful He is. Um, I mean, and and yeah, and because we do have that, that one grace. righteous person. It's not, oh, well. but it's not cheap grace. It's free grace. And uh, but there it yeah. is. You know, I mean, but that's. I mean, that's what Jesus we're talking about all. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, so we, we come move to on Colossians to- then. Colossians. Uh, and dear and listener, if you can tell, I have a meeting. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's keep, let's keep that chit-chat to a minimum. <laughs> Moving on, Colossians 2. Uh, this is having received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this Amen. is a passage against um, uh, a moralistic, legalistic, semi-Pelagian, meaning cooperate with God, partner with God, you do your part, he does his, because he's dealing with people that want to say, Jesus, yes, but also circumcision. Also, you have Mm -hmm. to check these boxes. And people do that today. Thankfully, it's not about circumcision, but about other things. And he says, don't be captive to these philosophies and empty deceits. Um, And uh, just Jesus is sufficient. You were 
raised with him. Uh, while you're dead in trespasses, you have been made alive. There's not a clear statement of the gospel in all of Scripture. There are statements as clear as this, but this is just as good as it gets. You were dead in your trespasses. God made you alive. A dead person can't pick herself up by her bootstraps because she's dead. So God is does not make good people better or bad people good. He doesn't. You're dead, and God makes you alive because you're. And, he, yeah. and it says, and again, one of that beautiful passages. He's erased the record who stood against us with its legal demands, and it's been nailed to the cross. And we so often uh, still think that that God is still keeping those records, and that if you were to open our file, there'd be a list of all the bad things we did in those heavenly uh, archives. But if you open the file for Jacob Smith or Aaron Zimmerman or anybody else here, you open the file and it's empty because that record has been erased. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, what Paul is engaging here is the same thing that, you know, we engage, I mean, a lot of the times. But there were three big religions that Paul is engaging here in Colossians. He's dealing with like asceticism um, and he's dealing with uh, like super legalistic Judaism and uh, uh, pagan folk religion here. And uh, this is uh, what, these are the things that are um, coming at the people. And this is why he speaks about, you know, uh, uh, through philosophy and empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the universe, uh, not according to Christ. These are the things. And so, and, but this is what, what um, why Christ triumphs over all of those things, because in him the fullness of the deity dwells. Now what happens is, is people are given the promise, and, um, and just like the Colossians too, they're given a promise, but uh, what happens is, is that we forget that promise, or we just, uh, you know, we go right into ourselves and like, I don't know if I'm being good enough, and, and Paul gives us the key to remind us of why, um, why we can trust the promises of the gospel and why we've been saved, and he says this, don't look within, but remember when you were buried with Jesus in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now, there's a big part of me as an evangelical, uh, American evangelical. I want my children to have like that personal moment where they give their lives to Christ. And that's when I got saved. And who doesn't want that for their children? But on another level, uh, the promise comes to us not through a subjective experience, but it comes to us through baptism. And this is what Paul is making the point. That's how you know. And, you know, and prior to like American evangelicalism, no one would have ever said, I became a Christian when I gave my life to Jesus. It was, I became a Christian when I was baptized because God is the uh, protagonist in this relationship. And what does he do to me in baptism? Well, he makes me alive together with him, and he forgives all of my trespasses and, uh, you know, erases all of the records uh, that stood against me and its legal demands. I look at that, and I know that I am saved, because there I've been given the promise that he is nailed to the cross, and he's disarmed the rules and authorities made a public example of them. I mean, that's powerful, triumphing over them in it. So there on the cross, those promises are delivered to me in baptism. So it's so much more than a feeling and a little experience that I had at camp. It comes to me in water. Yeah. And then he gives this whole description in the optional verses, if you want to talk about it. Don't let anyone give you a hard time if you're not following whatever the kind of made-up rules are about what a good Christian does or doesn't do. He says, don't let anyone give you a hard time about food or drink or which holidays you celebrate or, uh, you know, are you are you 
dwelling on visions, insisting on self-abasement, sort of this, this, um, you know, lock it down and, uh, you know, white knuckle your way to holiness. Um, And he says, no, that's, that's a human way of thinking. The, the Christian holds fast to the head of the church, Christ, mm-hmm. who's done everything. He's the one that nourishes us. He's the one who takes care of us. And so, again, it's, it's, you couldn't have a clear statement against mm. the legalistic view or the kind of moralistic view of Christianity about what a good Christian does or doesn't do. This is Paul doubles down on the grace of God and says, look, there's Christian freedom in these areas. Of, you know, whether you want to eat the food or drink a drink, it's up to you. Uh, but don't let anyone give you a hard time because we are free in Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Amazing. Well, then we come to uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, uh, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Um, and, uh, and we're given basically the Lord's Prayer. Uh, except um, it's wrong. He doesn't get it right according to the Book of Common Prayer. He, yeah. <laughs> he seems to change it. He takes the hour off of the front of mm. it. Um, no, this is likely something that Jesus taught in at many times in his mm-hmm. ministry. He, he would have taught things again and again to his disciples. Um, and uh, But we get these basic ideas, the idea that, so, and even right out of the gate, um, and you could feel free, preachers, to preach on this, because the Lord's Prayer, which you're, if you're in a liturgical church, um, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Anglican, Catholic, whatever, you're going to be saying this prayer, and it's something that everybody will know, but a lot of people have never really deeply thought about it. And it's worth saying that to begin the prayer with the word Father is already radical and amazing. The idea that God is the Father would have not been totally foreign, but it's not a way that God was typically addressed um, in Jesus' time among the Jewish people. Um, it's a much more personal, intimate, familiar name. Uh, Actually, this, and, is, this uh, is revolutionary in the history of religion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody... There it is. Go, Jake. I'm like trying to be yeah, like... I'm, no, trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm pussyfooting around, but nobody, you get there. Nobody referred or got, understood God, period, as a parental figure until this moment. Like, that's, yeah. that's just a given. That's you right. do not find God as Father in Hinduism... None of the gods. You don't find God as Father in Buddhism. You don't find God as Father in Islam. Uh, this is this is actually a very very radical concept. Um, not even really. Uh, I mean, it's under. It can be understood in Judaism, but Jesus Jesus gives it words. And, uh, yeah, and, and so he's saying, I powerful. want you to understand. Yeah, he's saying, I want you to. And I'm giving you permission to understand God as your Father, meaning somebody for, to whom you're related, some someone who loves you, someone who will provide for you. And you know, there is a people. Who, there are people now who kind of want to pull away from this because they've had negative experiences with their own Give fathers. Um, but uh, let me tell you, people had negative experiences with their own fathers <laughs> in Jesus's day as well. Everybody understands, and even that's why we understand what a good father is, because right. we know from our own experience what a human and subpar father is. So um, he's saying, I want you to know that your your heavenly father, um, you're his children. He cares for you. He provides for you, um, and and he and it, it also teaches us implicitly that we are children. If we say father, it means we are children, meaning we are people who are humble, 
uh, this kind of precludes being an egomaniac as you walk through life. Walking through life with some sort of demanding attitude or some sort of swagger. We're, we are children who need help and who need someone else to provide for us, which is why uh, which is why we don't say, we take your kingdom. We say, may your kingdom come. May your reign come. Please give mm-hmm. us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, because we are sinners. Um, and we get hurt also by other people, and we forgive them. So, it's it's this place of complete dependence and trust in God, who's revealed to be our loving Father. And this becomes, then, the lens by which you understand the two parables that follow, uh, where Jesus speaks first of... Um, a friend who's desperate for need of uh, three loaves of bread in the middle of the night. You know, he's got nothing to set for him. Kind of going back to last week, that um, that great um, understanding of hospitality. Here he is, and um, and what what Jesus says is, man, you got this buddy uh, who, um, because they're friends, he'd get up even just based on the persistent of the per- persistence of the person would get up and provide for whatever he needs. And then he moves into this next example, this illustration. He goes, so I ask you, and it will uh, be given, ask and you will be given, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Uh, what this isn't about is a million dollars or, you know, um, all your dreams come true. Uh, this is about actually the discovery of a loving God, a God of mercy, a God who's actually for you, you know, because this isn't conveyed in, in the God who's revealed only in the law. You don't find a father on Sinai. Uh, you only find him um, in uh, Zion. And so, uh, and he goes on to say, for everyone who asks receives mercy, and everyone who searches finds grace, and everyone who uh, knocks and the door will be open to them, they'll find that father. Uh, and because he's the one revealing himself to them and drawing them to him. And he uses this whole example, and he says, you know, about a kid, he's like, which one of you is going to give your kid a snake? instead of like a fish, you know what I mean? I mean, it's common sense, an egg instead of a scorpion. This is the key, the understanding of anthropology here. If you then who are evil, not you who are basically good, you who are trying hard, you who are, you know, uh, doing your best so that God can do the rest, but you who are evil, you know, that includes you and me. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your heavenly father? And the gift that he's given us, and this is how you pivot it towards Jesus, is himself. You know, and uh, he's given you that gift in baptism. He gives you that gift in this word preached. He gives you that gift in bread and wine, all for you. And, uh, and that gift has the power not only to bring peace in the moments of despair in this age, but uh, peace to carry you through death into the age that is to come. Yeah, and you know, the final thing I would add about this is just that um, in this discussion about God giving gifts to his children, to us, there is zero discussion of merit. Yes. There's zero discussion of performance. He doesn't say those who deserve it will receive. He says everyone who asks. All you have to do is ask. And I think about um, uh, this, uh, I'm rereading The Great Divorce, you and I were talking about, Jake, uh, because my my youngest child just read it and he wants to chat about it with me. And this is a picture of people who are living in a certain kind of a hell. They're brought in a bus to heaven and they're given a chance to decide whether they want to stay or not. And all they meet all these kind of redeemed, resurrected human beings now in their kind of perfect glorified state who kind of tell these people, all you have to do is ask. And, the, and none of them mm-hmm. want to do it because they want to go back to the place where they're in control. So what you have to do is simply put yourself in a place of need. And, um, and there's no, there's no, deserving here. It's just asking. 
there's no earning. It's just asking. Um, and it's right. just, it's a picture of God's grace. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about that. I mean, we're, we're recording back in time and thinking about, you know, uh, so I'm getting ready to preach on Pentecost. And I was thinking about this, you know, uh, the world is always talking to us about unity. And, uh, you know, I mean, all over the place, like unity, even in our diversity, unity, unity, unity. And uh, the thing, yeah, but the thing that ultimately unifies us, and, and oftentimes the world pitches this thing as a sense of strength and self-reliance. And, uh, but ultimately, as Christians, our unity is found in our deep need, our deep need for grace that's given to us by a loving Father who gives us every good and perfect gift in his Son, Jesus. And so yeah. um, that is the good news of the gospel, and that's what you need to deliver to your people. And, I, and yeah, and I think there's a final thing you can say about asking. A lot of times we worry about our practical needs, our very everyday practical needs, but we never actually ask for God's help. Oh, I'm asking. Areas. But uh, but go ahead and ask. That's right. What happens? Absolutely. Okay. Well, everybody, right. God bless you. Till next time. All right. Go back. Go back to your reruns of the Gilmore Girls. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.